0: there is one thing we can always count on, trouble. It's as common as the air we breathe and the food we eat and the water we drink. Perhaps it's just as necessary, but that's a hard saying, isn't it? We are finite mortals who live in time. To live in time is to live in change. Our outward conditions, our inward feelings are never the same for long. It's true. Sometimes you and I feel as firm as a mountain. We cannot be moved, we say. But tomorrow, it may be a stormy sea. Most people's lives are like winter's days in some climates, alternating between sunshine and shower. Or, like any day, which must have a morning and an evening, the sun rains, but finally abdicates to the stars. The blackness of night, and then after a time the stars abdicate, and the sun rains once more. This is the way life is: shadows, sunshine, joy, and song, desert, and fruitfulness. There are two types of storms in life. There are the storms in which we are in, and then there are the storms which are in us. And the second is by far the worst. And so, to live in time means to live in trouble. There is no dodging it. But there is a way of learning to handle our troubles. Learning to handle the storms, the ones in which we are in, and the ones which are in us. The Bible has a word for us, as usual, and I'm reading to you from Mark chapter 4, and beginning at verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great storm of wind arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him, and said to him, Teacher, do you not care if we perish? And he awoke, and rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Have you no faith? And they were filled with awe and said to one another, who then is this that even wind and sea obey him? It had been a long day for Jesus. He'd given the sermons regarding the kingdom of God as symbolized in the stories which we call the parables. He had healed by the hour, and now weary, exhausted, hungry, they take him just as he is, without preparation for the journey, no extra clothes, aboard ship. He's no sooner on board than he's asleep. And then the storm. In order to understand what it is like by the Sea of Galilee, we need to remember that the Galilean lake lies in a deep hollow, much below the level of the ocean. And particularly in the evening, the wind can howl down those funnel-like gorges and toss the surface of the waters till they become a maelstrom. So it was on this evening. A great storm of wind arose, says scripture. The waves beat into the boat, so the boat was already filling. You can picture the scene, of the sun having set, the evening no doubt had been calm and pleasant, there had been quiet resting upon the lake. But now as darkness overspreads the sky, the wind sweeps wildly down the mountain gorges and the fierce tempest has its way. The waves are lashed into fury by the howling winds. They dash fiercely over the disciples' boat and threaten to engulf it. Now the fishermen, the disciples, they'd spent their lives upon the lake. They'd guided their craft through many a storm safely. But tonight their strength and their skill avail nothing. They're helpless in the grasp of the tempest. Hope fails them as they see that the boat is filling. They've forgotten all about Christ. Working as they could on sail and tiller, they forgot him. Suddenly they remember at whose command they'd set out to cross the sea. In him is their only hope. And in the darkness they call out to him, Master, Master. And at first there's no reply. Doubt and fear assail them. Has Jesus forsaken them? Was he who had conquered disease and demons and even death powerless to help his disciples now? Or doesn't he care? As they call, there's no answer except the shrieking of the angry blast. A moment and they'll be swallowed up by the hungry waters. Or so it seems. But then Jesus arises and says to the sea, Peace. Be still and the wind and the waves obey him. And then he turns to his followers, who do not obey him so automatically as the things of nature. And he says to them, why are you afraid? Have you no faith? Well, there's the story. What do we learn from it? Well, we learn the inevitability of storms, even if we're Christian. Maybe there'll be more storms if we're Christian. The devil doesn't care about us when we're on the fringes. But if we are where the battle is between righteousness and evil, there the arrows of the devil will fall the thickest. Notice they had set out at the master's command, but the storm still came. Trouble is no evidence that God has forsaken us or that he doesn't love us. The picture is an apt picture of church history. The church has known storm after storm of heresy and persecution or even that which doesn't seem to be a storm, apathy, which always results in a storm of temptation to swallow up those who profess faith in Christ. But Christ is in the ship of the church, that church which is composed of all that love him, regardless of the denomination, for Christ has his people everywhere. He looks for a heart that surrendered to him, that appreciates his cross, that strives to obey him in all that we know. and That heart he reckons is in his church. But that church is tossed on the winds, the waves, the billows of the years. But the main meaning, of course, is for us as individuals. And Christ, in this story, is saying to us, why are you afraid? And he tells us why we're afraid. Have you no faith? This story is to tell us that living faith in the Redeemer can smooth the sea of life. For how often the disciples' experience is ours. When the tempests of temptation gather and the fierce lightnings flash and the waves sweep over us, we battle with the storm alone. We forget there's one who can help us. We trust to our own strength till our hope is lost and we're ready to perish. Then it is we remember Jesus. If we call upon him to save us, we'll not cry in vain. He may sorrowfully reprove our unbelief, our self-confidence, but he never fails to give us the help we need. Whether on the land or on the sea, if we have the Saviour in our hearts, there's no need of fear. Living faith in the Redeemer will smooth the sea of life and will deliver us from danger in the way that he knows to be best. Why are ye afraid? Why are you fearful? How is it you have no faith? These are his words to us today. Christ said more about fear than he did about sin. Right at the beginning of his ministry. The first people that he meets to heal. The words are usually the same. Fear not. Be of good courage. These were the words of the angels when Christ was born. As they ministered to the shepherds in the field. Fear not. Fear not. These are his words at the tomb. Fear not. Christ and fear are opposites. And yet fear remains a temptation to every Christian. We should be afraid of fear. For fear paralyzes. Fear is devastating to the health. And fear is useless. It is only destructive. Let's think on the fact that it's disease-producing. Every physician can tell us that fear causes functional disorders. In peptic ulcers so common among white men between 20 and 50, which someone has called the wound stripe of civilization, worry plays an important role in most cases. Mucous colitis or simple colitis almost always is a nervous phenomenon. For years, the treatment's been out of simple, easy digested food and nerve sedatives. A study of patients in one of the large general hospitals with colitis showed that 92% of them were harrowed by worry and emotional strain. Yes, fear is disease-producing. E. Stanley Jones, famous missionary, in his book The Way, says that fear is paralyzing No one can be at his best unless he's free from all fears. Jesus speaks of the seed that was choked with worries. And note that he puts the choking things in this order. Choked with worries, money, pleasures. See Luke 8.14, Moffat's translation. We would have reversed that order. We would have said that the pleasures of sex and appetite, lust and drunkenness and the love of money are the chief sources of arrested development. Jesus said worries. And life bears him out. More people are mentally, spiritually, and physically arrested by fear and worry than by any other single thing. Of Peter it was said, he was afraid and began to sink. Matthew 14.30, Moffat's translation. Fear makes you sink. When Jesus cured the paralytic, he saw that the paralysis was rooted in fear, which in turn was rooted in sin. So his first word was, courage, my son. And his second was, your sins are forgiven. When he lifted the guilt, that lifted the fear, and that in turn lifted the paralysis. On one occasion he said to his prostrate disciples, as recorded in Matthew 17, 7, Rise, have no fear. Fear always gets you down, but faith always lifts you up. The man who buried his talent brought back the unused talent and said, I was afraid, and I went and hid thy talent in the earth. Matthew twenty five, twenty-five. E. Stanley Jones says about him. His life work was a hole in the ground. Fear did it. Again it was said of the disciples, the disciples had gathered within closed doors for fear of the Jews. John twenty verse nineteen. Fear puts you behind closed doors, an introvert, an ingrown person. Joseph of Arimathea. Was a secret disciple for fear of the Jews. John nineteen thirty-eight. Fear always drives one underground. Fear brought to Joseph a dead Christ. It'll do the same for us if we live by fear. Christ will be dead within us. Jesus said to the woman with the hemorrhage, "Courage, my daughter." Matthew nine twenty-two. Fear had made her tense. That had made her bleed. And the more she bled, the more she was afraid. Jesus turned her from fear to faith, and she was well. Now, the other thing about fear, as E. Stanley Jones tells us in the same book, is that fear is useless. And there was a YMCA worker who said, I was tense holding up the world. Atlas and I together were holding it up. I was defending the Christian faith, arguing, struggling, trying to set everybody right. Every night I went to bed with my socks on. My circulation was so bad. Then I surrendered my whole tense self to God. I said I would follow truth wherever it led. Truth would have to defend itself. My business was to follow it. Now my tensions are all gone. My circulation is normal. I don't wear socks at night. People say I'm not the same person. I'm not. Now God uses me. He does greatly. This man's no longer trying to do things for God. He's allowing God to do things in and through him. He used to be a tied up bundle of nerves. Now he's a relaxed channel of God's grace. So hear the words of Jesus, my friend. Whatever the storm may be surrounding you today, why are you afraid? Have you no faith? My friend, please note what I now say. It can change your life. Remember that every fear, every trouble, Every sickness, every sin you may face has been and is defeated and overcome by Christ. When fears and sicknesses and sins come upon you to overwhelm you and to beat you into submission by their overbearing presence, you are to calmly look each one in the eye and say, I'm not afraid of you. You have been and are decisively beaten by my Lord. Will you bend your neck? There, I knew it. The footprint of the Son of God is upon your neck. This confidence is your starting point. Nothing can touch you that hasn't touched him. Nothing can touch you that hasn't been defeated by him. My friend, if you open your life to his power, every ill can be defeated again by you through his grace. You needn't be defeated by anything unless you consent to be. If you throw your will on the side of victory, then the whole of the universe of reality throws itself behind your will, releases it, reinforces it, redeems it. And redeems you. You're caught up in a tide of victory. Nothing can stop it except your refusal to cooperate. Paul could say, I do not frustrate the grace of God. I do not block its redemption, nor frustrate its healing purpose. And therefore an almighty will work within his will. And he arose a rhythmical, harmonious, adequate person. You, my friend, can be the same. Now have you got it? Nothing can touch you that hasn't touched him. That hasn't been defeated by him. Nothing. If you open your life to his power, every ill can be defeated again by you through his grace. There is no need to fear, my friends. The Father's presence surrounded Christ and nothing befell him but that which infinite love permitted for the blessing of the world. That was his source of comfort. And it is for us. He who is imbued with the Spirit of Christ abides in Christ. Nothing can touch him except by the Saviour's permission. Whatever our sorrows or temptations, our troubles or trials, whatever they are, my friends, all circumstances become God's workmen, whereby good is brought unto us if we will look unto Jesus and trust him. There are times when Jesus seems asleep in our lives. There are times when Jesus doesn't seem to be doing anything. Those of us who are families know that. You can't have a sick child or a sick parent without wondering where God is. Why is he asleep? Why isn't he doing something? My friend, trust God and wait his time. He's never before his time and he's never after. Sometimes he waits to teach us to trust. He may seem asleep, but he isn't. For providence to know and to care are the same thing. Remember, we've said it before. There are 365 fear knots in scripture, one for every day in the year. Every great Bible truth is meant to preserve us from fear, if it's rightly understood. Take the doctrine of creation. You know, Martin Luther, who lived in a world of fear, had much to say against it. He once said to Melanchthon, I can't stand all those harrowing fears of yours. Get rid of them. The worst that can happen to us is that we might die and fall into the hands of God. But on another occasion, Luther, commenting on the doctrine of creation, realising how every truth of God should help dissipate our fears, said this, If God can, from a small drop of water, create the sun and the moon, can he not defend my poor body against all enemies and against Satan himself? Can he not, after that poor body is laid in the tomb, raise it again to another and a new life? Wherefore, we are to learn from this book of Genesis the power of God, that we may accustom ourselves to doubt nothing of those things which God promises in his word. For in this glorious and marvellous creation work is there laid a confirmation of our faith in all the promises of God, that there is nothing so difficult, nothing so seemingly impossible, which God cannot do and perfect by his word. For all this is he approved by God's creation of the heaven, of the earth, and of the sea, and of all that they contain. God is a God not only of power, not only of wisdom, but of love. Believe it, receive it, and the storms of life can be stilled one by one. In John, the sixth chapter, there is a story of another storm where Jesus was not in the boat. Let me read you the story. Beginning at verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea rose because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat. They were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Now friend, please note in this story that the billows, the waves that were threatening to come down on the heads of the disciples and drown them, those billows and waves were under the tread of the Son of God. He was walking on those waves that were threatening to drown them. Do you see it, my friend? Every storm is under the feet of Christ. Every billow is under his control. He treads them down for our sakes. You need not fear the storms. You need not fear those waves of trouble that are under his feet. Now I want to go back to the story in Mark that we were reading. We said there are two types of storms, storms within and storms without. I want to notice how Mark now goes on to a storm within. I'm turning back. So the fifth chapter, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when he had come out of the boat, there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit, who lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him any more, even with a chain, for he had often been bound with fetters and chains, but the chains he wrenched apart, and the fetters he broke in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains he was always crying out and bruising himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he had said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion. We are many. And he begged him eagerly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of swine was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, Send us to the swine, let us enter them. So he gave them leave. The unclean spirits came out and entered the swine. And the herd numbering about two thousand rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. Now here was a man who was demon possessed. We're not familiar with it so much today. It was only in those days when heaven was bending low to earth that hell itself came up to meet the descending Christ. And here's a man. Filled with antagonism. Filled with hatred. Everyone's afraid of him. He's a man that has a storm within. And my friend, have you never known that? A storm of guilt? Anger? Something that made you mad? But notice that Jesus is enough for this storm. He stands before the man and rebukes the legion of evil spirits. And they leave the man. And the record says the demoniac was sitting there clothed and in his right mind. The word of Christ can expel the demons, my friend. He can expel them. He can solve the storms without and the storms within, both. Please note in this story there are three prayers mentioned. The demons pray that they may go into the pigs. The herdsmen who come and see what's happened, they pray to Jesus that you will get out. And the healed demoniac prays that he might be with Jesus. Now Jesus says yes to the demons. He says yes to the unbelieving herdsman, But he says no to the man who's just become his convert. This is very important, my friends. Very, very important. If we want to have peace from the storms without and within, we must believe in the providence of God. We must believe that he answers our prayers. Well, sometimes... When he says no, or when he says wait a while, we need to remember that these are just as much answers as yes. For God answers as we would if we knew as much as he, and we were as wise as he. This man that was healed, that was forbidden to follow Jesus, that was told to go back and be a missionary in that neighbourhood, why, when Jesus came back there months later, he found the whole neighbourhood ready and waiting to greet him. When Jesus says no, there's a reason for it, my friends. When he says wait a while, there's a reason for it, my friends. And our storms will be calmed when we trust in the providence of God and believe that God means good. in whatever he says, whatever he does. Notice when this man first met Jesus, he said, What are we to do with you? Don't torment me. That's a typical sinner, my friends. We think that Jesus comes to torment us. We think that he's going to take away from us all the things that give us joy. We think that he'll give us commandments that are hard to obey. My friend, when we're possessed by demons, that's the sort of thought that can come into our minds so easily. But even when not, our hearts are so depraved, so guilty, that we doubt the love of God. Learn from this story that our fears about Jesus are unfounded. This man found life and health and joy and fruitfulness through Christ, his deliverer. Jesus says to us, let not your hearts be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. There's the answer for our fears. There's the answer for our storms. Believe in God. Believe in Jesus, God the Son. Do you remember a letter that Paul once wrote to the Philippians from jail, waiting to be beheaded? He said something like this in the fourth chapter. He said, In nothing be anxious, but in everything be prayerful giving thanks always for all things. Do you want peace, even in the midst of your storms? Well, if you believe in God, if you believe in Jesus, follow those three rules. Be anxious about nothing, be prayerful about everything, and be thankful for anything. Did you get it? Be anxious about nothing, Be thankful about everything. And in everything, be prayerful. My friend, if you do that, Jesus will calm your storms one by one. Will you not trust him? God bless you.